And those who are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of our passage this morning. Our passage this morning is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as we have already um, had the opportunity to hear you remind us of these truths, that we are found in you, that the voice of Jesus calls to us inviting us to find our hope, our everything in him. So even now we ask that as we look at your word together, as we listen, that you would draw us closer to yourself so that more and more we would find ourselves, our hope, our everything in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it seems to me that we are a people who believe that we know what we want. I think probably you'd agree with that. In fact, we might even say something more than this, that we are a people who believe not only that we know what we want, but we know how to get what we want. I mean, this is America, right? American optimism is kind of what drives this country, this this can-do attitude this belief that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We, we believe that we know what we want and we know how to get what we want. I mean, say we want to know how to understand something. Uh, maybe we want to know some sort of political position or to understand something philosophically or, or just even to get some news. We know how to get it. You know, we have the power of Google in the palm of our hands. Or, or maybe we go to YouTube if we want to know how to fix our refrigerator that seems to be going wonky. Or, or maybe we'll tune into cable news to be able to be informed about all the things that are going on. Or if we're really desperate, we might even read a book. If we need to understand something, we know how to get that, right? Or, or maybe if we even go further than that and we say that we want to improve ourselves. That, that we want more and more to become someone that we feel is admirable, something that we are proud of. 
we, we think we know how to get that as well, I think. You know, we can set goals for ourselves. This is who I want to become in my job. Or we might, we might go in for some training, take a class. We might read a self-help book. We, we might sign up for the gym so that we can become more and more the people that we want to be. We know how to get what we want. It's true for happiness. I mean, if you think about freedom, the very idea of freedom in our country, it's predicated on the sense that the best person to figure out what will make you happy is you. That no one else should tell you whom to love, what to buy, what to do, because you and you alone know how to make yourself happy. We, we as a country, I think we can agree on, believe not only that we know what we want, but we know how to get what we want. But the problem is, we're wrong. Let's, let's think about understanding for just a moment. Understanding, we think that we know how to understand stuff. Right now, all of us, I think, would agree that we are in an incredibly divided political climate. Whether you're on the left or you're the right, you are confident that the other person is wrong about almost everything in our country. Doesn't matter whether it's science, doesn't matter whether it's understanding of jobs, doesn't matter where it's ethics. Now let me think about this. If, if two sides, about 50-50, are in complete disagreement, that means at least half of our country is wrong at any given point, right? And, and quite possibly it's more because we might all be wrong on certain things. So we think we know how to understand things, but we're regularly wrong. Or, or what about making ourselves the people that are admirable? How many heroes in our country do we actually have? People that we really look up to. It seems any moment we start elevating someone and thinking that person is awesome, we find out something terrible about them. And, and when we look around, how well do we think as a country we are at producing lives that we are proud of, that we feel good about? Or, or think about happiness. I mean... This town that this church is in is one of the wealthiest towns in one of the wealthiest counties of almost certainly the wealthiest country in the world. And with wealth, that means we have power. We have the ability to make our lives the way we want. And so we should ask, given that this is a test case, a place where we can really do what we think we want, how well are we doing at making ourselves happy? Well, it might look, you know, surfacely, Hinsdale, Western Springs, wherever, we look like we're doing awesome, but then you talk to, say, the teachers in Hinsdale Central, and you hear that they see students who are incredibly anxiety-filled, struggling with depression, addictions. You talk to therapists, and they'll talk about family breakup after family breakup. You hear about suicides happening again and again in schools like ours, and you go, wait a second, maybe, maybe we really don't know what we're doing. My point in this isn't to say that things are terrible. It's more to point out that we have a problem with overconfidence. We think we know how to get what we want, but again and again, if we actually look at reality, we realize we're not nearly as good as we think we are. And you would think that by now, we would have figured this out, because almost all of us learn this when we're like six or seven years old. Because almost all of us have this time for our birthday or for a Christmas where we are really looking forward to something. For me, I was a little bit older. I remember I was really looking forward to getting a Sega Master System, which was like Nintendo except cooler. 
And so I was like saving and I was saving and I just knew that when I got it, everything in life would be awesome. And for about 70 minutes it was. And then, you know, kind of the shine just kind of wore off and, and life kind of still normal. But, you would, but at that moment, what I didn't do was reflect and go, hmm, you know, maybe what this is telling me is that I'm not really that good at figuring out what I want. No, what it was telling me was that I needed a new cartridge. And then another cartridge. And then the next game system. And then in high school, maybe a dating relationship. And then maybe going to the right college. And then getting the right job. And so on and so on. Each time, the shiny new object always wasn't quite as shiny as I'd hoped. But it never caused me to think, oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm not so good at knowing how to get what I want. And isn't that the way we are? We, we think we know how to get what we want. But... But reality, we don't. And so even though we want to and we believe we can be knowledgeable and admirable and happy, the reality is if you look around in our country, we have so much problem with ignorance and insecurity and unhappiness. And, and what makes things even worse is that we're in denial about it. We, we rarely actually admit this to ourselves. There was a commercial that I remember seeing many years ago, but I still feel like encapsulates kind of almost the American spirit. I think it was Lending Tree. But you have this, this commercial the whole time. It's just in like beautiful suburbia and have this like really cheerful music. And it starts with this like really smiley guy saying, I'm Stanley Johnson. I have a great family. And then you have a picture of family. I have a four bedroom house in a great community. Like my car, as he says he's driving, it's new. I even have gotten into a golf, the local golf club. How do I do it? He says, while well, he's still smiling, this time riding his ride-on tractor mower, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. And like while he's still smiling, somebody help me. That's America, right? I mean, like maybe it's not always debt. But, but we're putting on this external appearance that we even try to believe that we've got things solved, that we know how to get what we want. But what we're hiding is desperation, whether it's debt or it's depression or, or shame. We're in denial, and deep down, there's a part of us that says, this is not going as well as I'm pretending that it is. And deep down, we ask ourselves, is there a better way for us truly to get the desires that we have? Now, I bring that up because when Jesus is writing to the church in Laodicea, he is writing to a church that is very much like this, a church that is in denial. Laodicea was the wealthy community of the area. The people of the church of Laodicea were wealthy, and so when they looked around, they were thinking that they had it made. But they were in denial. Now, to understand how Jesus kind of focuses on their problems, we first need to kind of navigate through kind of a verse that oftentimes gets confusing to people. So Jesus, as he writes to the church in Laodicea, says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now this is often a misunderstood verse. And, and what people oftentimes misunderstand it to be saying is Jesus saying, I wish you were either super against me or super for me. 
Anything in between, if you're not either cold and against me and hot or for me, is awful. But that, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is never excited about people being super against him. In that day, Laodicea was just a few miles away from two key towns. Colossae, where there was this cold river water, which was fantastic for drinking. And Hierapolis, which is also a few miles away, where there are hot springs, which also were considered to have health properties. But Laodicea had no water source themselves. It had to get piped in by aqueduct. And when it came from here, from the, the hot springs, by the time it came to them, it was lukewarm and it was nauseating. And it was considered to be unhealthy. And so Jesus is saying, you, you, it, there's one way that would be healthy. There's another way that would be healthy. And you are neither of these. You are not healthy. So what is he talking about when he's saying there's two good ways you could be and you're neither of them? Well, when we're trying to understand what Jesus is saying, it's always good to keep on reading. And so what does he say in the next verse to explain it? He says, for, in other words, this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, you're in denial. It would be healthy if you were truly rich. If you truly had all the things that you think you did, I would, I would rejoice in your true wealth. It would also be healthy if you recognized your poverty and your weakness and your blindness and came to me with your need. But your problem is that neither are true. You're in denial. You are pretending. You look around at all your status symbols, all of the scorekeepers that make you look awesome by the world standards, and you think everything is great, and when the actual reality is the very opposite is true. You are neither hot, you are neither cold, you are lukewarm. Jesus is saying, do you not see? You think you are really good at knowing what you want and how to get there. In fact, you so believe that you are in denial and believe that you've already made it and you are wrong and it is killing you. Because it is always a dangerous thing to be in denial. As long as you are in denial about your deepest needs, you always keep yourself from experiencing the solution. And Jesus says, yes, there is a better way. And so he says, the very next verse, I counsel you. And this is Jesus saying, let me tell you the right way to handle this. And he doesn't say what we might expect him to say. He doesn't say, here's what you need to do. You need to stop worrying about your desires, stop being selfish, and just serve me. Sometimes that's what we think Jesus would say, isn't it? But that's not what he says. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. To buy from me white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And to get from me salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus is not saying, you shouldn't want these things. He's saying, those very things that you want, I want for you as well. I want you to be rich, truly rich. I want you to be glorious, truly glorious. I want you to be able to see. 
Your mistake is you are looking in the wrong places when these things can only be found through me. You go after these riches that you think will satisfy you, but they will crumble and they will never fill you. I have riches that have been refined in fire, gold that is true wealth that will truly satisfy. You try to, to make yourself impressive, maybe even literally through the clothes you wear or the things you do or the status symbols you acquire, and they will never get you there. I have something better for you. I have white robes where you will experience purity, and holiness, and victory, and you will hold your head up high with the glory that you have through me. You think that you can make yourself see and understand, but you are blind, and the only solution is the one that I have for you. I have a salve, an ointment, that can take your blindness away and help you to see. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? And I, I want you to pay attention because this is really the heart of this passage. This is the core of what's going on. Jesus is saying, your problem is not that you are looking to fulfill your desires. Your problem is where you are looking to fulfill your desires. I am the only way that your desires are fulfilled. I and I alone am the way for you to get what you truly want. Now, that might seem like a strange thing to say, but I should let you know, I'm not the only one who says this, besides the fact that Jesus says this. This is something that theologians have seen again and again. You go all the way back to Augustine, who was more than 1,600 years ago, and he said, here's the fundamental human problem. The fundamental human problem is that we seek the things that are found in God, but we try to seek them apart from God. That is the heart of our mistake. That there are things that our heart desires and our heart desires things that can only be found in God because that's what we were made for. But we don't like the idea of having to depend on God so we try to find those things that can only be found in God everywhere else. And it never works. Now what are we saying? Are we saying that Jesus says just come to me, ask for a Ask for a high-paying job, boom, it's yours. Ask for the new Mercedes, wait a little while, and I'm giving you that as well. Just keep on asking, and I'll keep on giving. Well, we know the answer to that, I think, most of us. And the answer, of course, is no. Jesus doesn't just automatically give everything we're asking in the form that we're asking it. But that's not because Jesus is lacking in the funds. And it's not because Jesus isn't generous. It's because Jesus knows more what we need than we ourselves know. And Jesus has something better for you and me. He wants to give us gold that is refined in fire. He wants to give us white robes. He wants to give us ointments that will enable us truly to see. Now I think it's hard for us sometimes to really believe, yes, I have these desires and yes, they are met in Jesus. And so we need to pause and just remember again who Jesus is. Jesus himself reminds us of who he is in this passage. We need to remember again that Jesus is supremely reliable. Notice how he introduces himself at the very beginning. It says, the words in verse 14 of the amen. The amen just means this is true. The amen, the faithful and true witness. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am. I am reliable. My word can be counted on. Jesus is never going to say to you the things that you just want to hear just to make you happy. Jesus is never going to overpromise and underdeliver. 
Jesus will only ever tell you the truth. And if you need any convincing of that, just think about what you see in his life. Jesus was not ever in a popularity contest. He was never trying to flatter the Pharisees to get them on side. He would say the awkward truth that no one else would want to say. And he was fearless and bold and willing to do it no matter where it took him, even though he knew holding forth the truth would bring him to the cross. He is the, the faithful witness so committed to the truth that he is willing to let himself die for the truth. And that means you know that if Jesus says... Buy from me true riches that you can take his word for it. And part of the reason that Jesus can say that is because not only is he trustworthy and reliable, but he is also the designer of creation. Notice, he doesn't just say the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. He also says the beginning of God's creation, which could just as easily be translated the beginner, the originator, the designer of this creation. See, see, long before Jesus became one of us, he was with the Father creating this world. I mean, John 1 says, through him all things were made. Paul in Colossians says, all things were made through Jesus and for Jesus. In other words, he and the Father together were designing every atom, every detail of this beautiful world. They were the ones together who were designing where the stars in the sky. It was Jesus who was thinking through how to make the sunset over an ocean look just spectacular. How to make an ice cream sundae so tasty. He was the one who designed you and me with our creativity and our beauty and our love and our longing for things, and our desires for joy. Now, if that is true, don't we think it's likely that the one who knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, who knows this world more intimately than we know it, would know what it means to satisfy us, to fulfill our deepest longings? But not only is he able... We see in this passage how incredibly willing Jesus is. Verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. In other words, as I'm speaking these things to you, this is not because I'm just trying to condemn you. This is not because I'm trying to distance myself from you. The words that I'm saying, the warning when I'm saying, watch out, I'll spit you out, is because I love you. And I want you to experience the things that only you can find in me. And he makes that even more clear in the next verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now that image of of eating together is is an image of fellowship, of sharing. Jesus is talking about this desire to have a meal together and share all that is his with us. But what I want us to notice especially about that is what he says. Behold, look, pay attention. This is, you know, like this is, pay attention to this moment he's saying. I am standing at the door and I'm knocking. Now why does someone knock? They, They knock... Well, we know why they knock. They knock because they want to come in. Why does someone keep on knocking persistently for longer and longer? It's because they deeply want to come in. Jesus is saying, my desire, 
My desire is to give you those things that you are longing for. I am standing at the door. Your, your creator, the one who's designed you, the one whose word is trustworthy, I am knocking. Would you just open the door and let me in? Do you hear that he is, he's one who longs to give you what can only be found in him. And so the question that, that this raises is how, right? Jesus says, I want to do this, so what does it look like for us to take hold of what Jesus has for us, to actually have our desires truly satisfied? Because Jesus says, you can only satisfy your desires in me. I am the way for you to get what you want. And verse 19 he gives us that very instruction. Going back to the verse. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is how you can experience what I want you to experience. Be zealous and repent. What does it mean to be zealous? It's just a fancy word for wanting something deeply. Saying desire. Truly desire. See, the problem of the church in Laodicea is they were complacent. They were willing to accept shoddy substitutes. To experience the things around them. And to just say, I have it all. Even though there was a part of their soul that was saying, this isn't right. This isn't enough. Do you know that feeling? When a part of you is saying, there needs to be something more. They were, they were willing to just stay lukewarm and be complacent and pretend. And Jesus says, stop it. Be zealous. Care deeply about the things that you're letting yourself be satisfied with some shoddy substitute for. Our calling is to be zealous. C.S. Lewis, a modern writer, says this best, I think. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus says, stop being far too easily pleased. Stop settling for mud pies in the slums when I have a holiday for you at the sea. Be zealous and repent. As I said before, repent is just another way for a, a word for a, like a U-turn in life. To turn away from one way of being and to turn towards a different way. And Jesus is saying, turn away from this sense that you know how to get what you want. Turn away from your denial. Turn away from pretending that you have all that you need and acknowledge that that is not working for you. And turn to me and look to me and ask from me all that you desire. 
I want you to ask yourself, what is it that you find yourself desiring? What is it that occupies your heart? Maybe you haven't even named it to yourself, but what motivates you? What is it that when you can't sleep at night because of anxiety is the thing that is being threatened most? Have you asked Jesus to fulfill those desires? Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me. I am standing at the door and knocking, and my desire is to come in and share with you. Have you asked Jesus to be the one who will ultimately satisfy those desires, those longings that you have? Now, perhaps you might say, well, you know, if I'm honest, I don't feel like the desires that I'm most aware of are the kinds of things that Jesus would go about giving me. And I'll say there's a part of that that might be true. That is sometimes, or oftentimes I'd even say, when we feel a desire, we almost immediately attach in our minds a solution to that. So I feel a desire for connectedness with others. I want to be in a relationship. Or I feel a desire for security and peace. I want a secure job. And the problem is for us, sometimes as we come to Christ and say, Lord, this is my longing, we find out to our dismay that he has different plans for us than we have for ourselves. And he doesn't always give us those things that we think are what we need to have those desires satisfied. So in that sense, we're right if we think that sometimes what we long for is not what God has for us. But in a, a deeper sense, we're way more wrong than we are right. Because there is not a desire that you have that our Lord Jesus doesn't care about. I want you to understand that. There is not a desire that you have that our Lord Jesus does not care about. He was the one who made you. Who gave you your desires. And yes, sometimes they might be corrupted or twisted by sin. But those desires ultimately are from God himself. And there's not a desire that you have that will not ultimately be met in Jesus. See, here's what happens when we start turning our desires towards Jesus and asking him and looking to him. Sometimes when we ask, we find God doing remarkable things where we can see, wow, this is, what I was this is more than what I was longing for, and we're filled with joy. But we don't just get excited about the thing. We start realizing we have a God who loves us, and it takes on a deeper, more satisfying tone because we're being more connected with God in the process. Sometimes, though, as we are longing and we're praying and we're looking, we find that what Jesus has for us is not to give us what we think we want, but to train our souls to have a desire for something that is greater. And he shapes us and he starts teaching us what real joy and what real satisfaction is so that as we continue to look for him, we find ourselves more whole, more peaceful, and at the same time more longing because Christ hasn't yet returned. See, see every desire that you have been given is meant as a signpost pointing you towards Christ Jesus. Reminding you again and again that you are made to know him, to be in fellowship with him, to be changed by him, to experience his generosity. As we turn ourselves towards him, we discover all of our desires ultimately find their answer in Christ. And so this is what Jesus says you need to do. Be, be zealous. Stop pretending. Stop being satisfied with things that aren't really satisfying. Allow yourself to be discontent. 
and repent. Stop thinking that you know how to solve this and turn towards me and ask of me so that I might give you true wealth and true glory and true understanding. Because the reality is you and I are terrible at knowing what we want. We just are. We need to just start acknowledging that. And we have the creator of the universe whose word has never been broken, who knows you and your desires more intimately than you know yourself, saying, I am knocking and I want to share with you and I want you to experience my joy. And he calls us to open the door and allow him to do that. Let's, let's take a moment in prayer to respond as, as God speaks to us in his word. Maybe for you it's just a matter of confessing that you have been putting your hope in things that you realize are empty. Or maybe it's as you're experiencing longing just saying, Lord, please, this is what I want. I don't even know what that looks like, but would you please answer my desires? And we'll spend a couple minutes in silent prayer and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer together. So would you please pray in confession with me? Father, before you we confess um, that we lack faith. That if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle to believe that you truly desire to give us joy. Because we know we don't deserve it. And yet, Lord, you promise us it. So please forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for looking to other places where you alone are the one who can satisfy us. Forgive us for our self-protectedness, for our own self-pride, rather than acknowledging our weakness and our emptiness and coming to you. Lord, would you please teach us how to buy from you the wealth, the glory, the wisdom that we need. Lord, our desire is to open ourselves up as Jesus continues to knock and to eat with our Lord Jesus. And so, Father, even now as we turn to the table where Christ offers to nourish us, we pray that you would indeed nourish our souls and reassure us of your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good news of the gospel, Acts 2, says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Thanks be to God.